0: For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slave whom you obey. Whether of sin leading to death, or obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then? And the things of which you are now ashamed, for the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus Our Lord, you may be seated. Father God, I now come to you desperately in need of your help. Father, this indeed is a task too great for me, too great for any man. How can this be done apart from your power? It cannot be done. It cannot bear any fruit. This passage speaks of fruit to eternal life. Yet we know there is no fruit unless you breathe upon this word. Unless you take this word and you apply it to every heart here. I'm sure there are some here who are slaves to their sin to uncleanness and lawlessness I pray that you would deliver them through your word this morning and those of us who are slaves of righteousness to holiness and sanctification slaves of God I pray that we would bear more fruit to eternal life and become greater and greater slaves of God with a thankful heart so would you now come and manifest your glory help preacher and listener in jesus name i pray amen Amen. Amen. you know by god's ordinance the scripture reading just happened to be out of a translation that translated the word servants as slaves and that's exactly what we are looking at today So, last time we began, or I'll back up to the first sermon on this series in the gospel. We spoke of the gospel and applied it to sin and corruption. And how that God has provided Christ to provide us with a perfect righteous standing before God. A righteous standing that will not change. And where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. So then the question comes, if that is true, and I'm perfectly righteous before God, no matter how much I sin. If you guys remember, I used the example that David, even in the midst of his sin, he still had a perfectly righteous standing before God. You're like, if that's the case, then I can just sin because it doesn't matter. My sin's not imputed to me. It's not put on my account. Well, then last time we began dealing with, well, Not th- this gift of righteousness didn't come alone. With this gift, this grace that made you righteous, it also united you with Jesus Christ in His death and His resurrection. And we spoke of how your body of sin has been done away with. That word means it's been made inoperative. And we spoke of how you've been justified or declared righteous from your sin. It's one thing to be forgiven your sin. But it's another thing to be declared righteous from your sin. And we spoke of how we've been empowered over sin. So that brings us to verse 14. And Paul says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. So you're following Paul, you're like, yes Paul, I'm following your argument here. Sin will not have dominion over me, because my body of sin is done away with. I've been declared righteous from sin, I've been empowered over sin. But then the next statement, he says, for or because you are not under the law, but under grace. So we're like, okay, Paul, I was following you up to this point. But it would make more sense if you said, sin shall not have dominion over you because you're under the law. You keep the law, so sin will not have dominion. I would follow you there, Paul, but you're saying sin will have dominion over me because I'm not under the law. And then you go back to this grace of righteousness. I'm not following you, Paul. Well, then we see in verse 15, Paul says, okay, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law? But under grace, this grace of righteousness, described much in chapter 5, says, shall we sin because we're not under the law? Shall we say, okay, well, I'm not under the law. I don't have to keep the law. I'm under grace. You know, sure, when I sin, there's grace, there's forgiveness. I'll sin again and receive more grace. Where well, sin abounds, grace abounds much more. We're back to where we started. But then Paul presents something else. Because, see, not only does the grace of Christ make us righteous, not only does the grace of Christ unite us to Christ, but the grace of Christ enslaves us to Christ. And that's what We will look at today. So, verse 16 says, Do you not know? So, again, we see that no, there's a knowledge as we looked at last time. We must know something before we make any significant um, advancements in our sanctification. There's something we must know, it's a knowledge. And as we'll see, Lord willing, it begins and it ends in knowledge. So what should we know? Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey? You are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. So Paul has just divided everyone in this world into two categories. And everyone in this room right now, you're in one of those categories. There's no middle category. There was isn't like, yeah, you're a slave to sin, you're a slave to obedience, but I'm a slave to fill in the blank. No, there's no middle category. You're one or the other. So we have the whole world divided into slaves of sin that leads to death, slaves of obedience that leads to life, to righteousness as we see. So, as we've discussed in a previous message, everyone born into this world is born as a slave of their sin you remember back in chapter 3 and Paul after condemning everyone he says now I want to make sure that each and every one of you that no one tries to remove himself and he says as it is written no one is righteous no not one says no one understands no one seeks after God They all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. says no one is good. No. Not one. So we are all born slaves of sin. Leading to death. So what has to happen for any of us? What has to happen to you or what has happened to you? To become a slave of obedience, a slave of righteousness. What must happen? Do do we do something? Well, Paul answers us in verse 17. He says, but God be thanked. Notice that, God be thanked. If anyone in here is not a slave of their sins, You can't give yourself credit for that. You can't say, I made a decision. You can't say, I prayed a prayer. You can't say, well, I was sitting in this service and I just so happened to be smarter than the next guy. The next guy heard the same message and he still goes on as a slave of his sin. But I was smarter than him. And I listened more closely than him. And after I heard that message, I made my decision. And I talked to the pastor, I went to the front of the church, I got baptized, I did this, I did this, I did this. So I can give myself credit. I am not a slave of my sin because of what I did. Well, Paul says, that's not the case. He doesn't say, but thank yourself. He says, God be thanked. That though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed, and here it is, from the heart. You obeyed from the heart. Now see, yes, you can do all of those things. You can hear that message. You can say, okay, I'm going to do this, do this, do this. And I'm going to do this in obedience. But not even you. Can change your heart. There's only one. Who can change your heart. And that's God. And he said. God be thanked. That though you were slaves of sin. You obeyed from the heart. And Ezekiel. we're well given a promise. And God says. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you. From your filthiness. And your idols. I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit. And I will remove. That heart of stone from your flesh. Replace it with a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit into you. And cause you. To walk in my statutes, And then you will keep my judgments. And you will do them. It's a work of God. Who gives former slaves of sin a new heart. A heart that loves righteousness, loves holiness. is a heart for sanctification, a heart for God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That credit is to be given to God, all glory to God. It's not of works. No man can boast. Of him, of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, that he who glories or he who boasts, let him glory, let him boast in the Lord, not in ourselves. It's a work of God. So if you are a slave of sin, what's your only hope? It's not you. Your hope is God. And for those of us who are slaves of God, slaves of righteousness. We should live out of thanksgiving to God, giving him all the glory. He has delivered us unto this life. Now we're free from our sin. So you see, he says, but God be thanked that though you are slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that former a doctrine to which you were Delivered. Now it's translated delivered here But this word is used four times in the book of Romans The first three times on chapter 1 And it says God gave them over To their sin And that section begins The wrath of God is revealed from heaven Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men So there's a contrast here This is speaking of the grace of God. So everyone in here can know if you are under the wrath of God or you are under the grace of God. The wrath of God delivers you over to your sin, to slavery, to sin. The grace of God delivers you over to righteousness. And again, we give all the glory to our God. In verse 18, having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. So you see, the grace of God has changed our hearts. And it has set us free from our sin. Free from sin, and you become slaves of righteousness. Now, you may be in here, you're truly a Christian. And as you examine your life. You're like. I know that's true. But. I feel the furthest thing. From being free. From my sin. I mean I know. I have, I've been given this new heart. I love Christ. I treasure Christ. I'd lose this world for Christ. I love God. As we sung, Christ is my all and all, he is my life. But I don't feel like I'm free from my sin. I mean, my sin is like a ball and chain, constantly. I'm I'm dragging it around. And more often than not, sin gets the upper hand. Well, Lord willing, The Lord will reveal how to, though the chain, yes, it is broken, but how to live in such a way that that isn't the case. And it's not by what you do, or what I do, or what we can do. Lord willing, we'll get to there at the end, but it is by increasing in the knowledge of God. You become a better slave when you realize who your master is. And your heart overflows with love for your master. And overflows with joy and thanksgiving to your master. And then you live in a different way. Not because I'm trying to do these things. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to be a better slave. No. Know your master. Get to know your master. Get to know his love. You love him because he loved you first. Your love isn't growing if you don't know about his love. Know your master. So, we've been set free from sin and become slaves of righteousness. You might say, that doesn't sound like much fun, being a slave of righteousness. A slave of always having to do this and do this and do this and do this. That doesn't sound like much fun. Well, again, that goes back to, do you know your master? You know, many times, it it goes all the way back to the garden. God said to Adam, all of the trees of the garden. You may freely eat, but the fruit of this one tree you shall not eat. Many times when we think about God, rather than thinking of all the trees that he has provided for us, that we can freely eat of to his glory, that we can enjoy, we want to go to the one tree that we cannot eat. And then we have a problem with God. God why can't I have that tree? Why can't I have that fruit? Don't you love me? But yet. He's given us a whole garden. The deceitfulness of sin. But here he has set us free from our sin. We become slaves of righteousness. And Paul says verse 19. I speak in human terms. Because the weakness of your flesh. So even Paul's like yes I know using this analogy. It may rub you the wrong way. But I'm speaking this way because the weakness of your flesh. This is a great reality. But I just have to put it in baby talk so to speak. So we can understand it. All of us have a weak flesh. Even as Christians we have a weak flesh. And it's such a glorious thing that God has condescended to us in his love and speaks to us in terms we can understand, in terms we can relate to, in terms that can comfort us and strengthen us. This is our great God. So Paul says here, for just as you presented your members as slaves to uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Some of your virgins may say sanctification. That's because holiness and sanctification come off the same word. Holy is hagias. Sanctified is hagiazo. It comes off the same root word. So holiness, sanctification means the same thing. Sanctification is the process of being made holy. The process of being set apart unto God. But notice here. It says, we must do something. Yes, it's a work of God. But we must do something. We must present our members, our hands, our feet our tongues, our hearts, our eyes, our our ears. We must present our members as slaves of righteousness for holiness, for sanctification. So there is something we must do, but it's how you approach that that's going to make or break you. Do we approach it saying, okay, I know what I must do? We read this passage. We 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 get to that point and we say, okay, now I have something to do. I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna present my members as slaves of righteousness to holiness. I'm gonna get I'm gonna memorize this verse verse 19. I'm gonna do this daily. I'm gonna present my members slaves of righteousness for holiness. Is that how we approach this? Because that's not how Paul approaches this. Yes, he mentions it. But we've already seen. Paul doesn't start out with what you must do. Paul's first word. After he establishes that everyone's a slave. His first word. But God be thanked. That though you are a slave of sin. Yet you've obeyed from the heart that form a doctrine to which you are delivered. He delivered you unto that doctrine. He delivered you. And we must continually look to him. So yes, we must do these things. But we do not do them in our own strength. God is the beginning, middle, and end, and every step along the way. We go to God. You don't say, I'm going to try harder. No. You go to God. You can try as hard as you want. I can try as hard as I want. We will fail. God will not fail. Amen. Amen. So in verse 20, we see Paul says, For when you are slaves of sin, you are free in, to regard, in regards to righteousness. What fruit, did, what fruit did you have then. In the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin. And having become slaves of God. You have your fruit to holiness. And the end of everlasting life. So we see. That now Paul. Is speaking. Of this righteousness. Of this holiness. As a fruit. Now let me ask you. We we just talked about trying harder. How hard does an apple tree. Try to produce apples. I mean. When's the last time you've seen an apple tree. Out there straining. To produce apples. Or orange tree. Or you you go on. a, A corn stalk. No, that's just what they produce. They aren't straining to do that. Why? Because that is what they are. That is uh, their nature, you can say. As a Christian, a slave of righteousness for holiness, your righteousness, your holiness, your sanctification, they are fruits that are produced. So it isn't something you strain to do. I will be righteous. I will be holy. I will be sanctified. No, it's good to have that resolve. We should have that commitment. But we can't do it in our own strength. We can't produce that fruit in our own strength. Jesus says, He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can bear a little fruit. No. It says you can do nothing. Nothing at all. You cannot bear any fruit. So if you're going to bear this fruit to eternal life, it's not going to come by you trying harder. It's not going to come with all of your resolve. Saying, God, from this day on, I will be righteous. I will be holy. Like I said, that's a good thing. But if you're looking to yourself, that's abominable. As you're trusting in your flesh, in your pride, you're putting confidence in your flesh. You know, we think of Peter. He said, even if I have to die with you, I won't deny you. That was actually a good thing. That was a very righteous and holy thing of Peter. His commitment to Christ. His love for Christ. That should be applauded. The problem was. He didn't fall down. Before Christ and say. But I know I can't do that in my own strength. I'm desperately dependent on you. Only you can keep this from happening. You've said I will deny you. And I know I will. I mean Satan even had to come to you and ask for permission. You are sovereign. You are Lord. I'm falling down before you. Strengthen me. I can't do this in my own strength. Yes, I'm devoted to you. I love you. I, if I had to die, I would lose everything for you, Christ. But I can't do this in my own strength. That should have been what happened. So Peter's resolve. Peter's love. That was a good thing. The problem was. He put confidence in his flesh. So. We see. That sin has fruits. Unto death. But. Notice the language. Verse 22. But now. Having been set free from sin, and having become slaves to righteousness, it's not what it says. To holiness, it's not what it says. Become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Paul has just told us something very, very important, which he has been kind of hinting at throughout this passage. Where do we go to bear this fruit to holiness, to righteousness? How how do we do this? Everyone in here who is a Christian. You have a desire. Remember. Your heart has been changed. You've been delivered over to this. So I know every single person in here who is truly a Christian. You have a desire. For righteousness. For holiness. For sanctification. To live. In a manner pleasing to God. You have that desire. But the problem is, how do you seek to walk in that desire? And Paul answers us: The order is very important, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves to God, you have your fruit to holiness. So it starts with God. So you will not have fruit to holiness unless you start with God. Like I said earlier, it's about the knowledge of God. So, with a few minutes we have left, I want to just briefly go through the the first eleven chapters of romans and Though I'm completely inadequate and will fail at this, I will attempt to paint. Some sort of faint picture Of this great God we serve That we, that our hearts might rejoice And we might increase and abound As slaves to God And bear fruit for holiness But the end, everlasting life So, as the book of Romans starts The first thing we see about God, we see that our God is righteous. We see, starting in verse 118, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So we're like, wait. The wrath of God, the anger of God, the displeasure of God. It's revealed from heaven against not some, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Well, if we stop there, we'd lose hope. Because not one of us is free from any unrighteousness or ungodliness. So if the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, yes, that tells me that my God is righteous, but that's bad news for me. But then we get to chapter 3. And he's like, yes, that's true about you. And as I just quoted, yes, you are not righteous. Yes, you are not good in and of yourself. But he says, but now, in chapter 3, verse 21, he says, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed. So there is a righteousness, not speaking of just God's character of righteousness, but there is a righteousness that I spoke of in the first message that God himself has given to us as a gift of grace. Says through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Who God set forth as a propitiation. Whenever you hear that word propitiation. Think of another P word. A punching bag. So. God. Instead of taking his anger out on you. On me. He turned to Christ. And took out his anger on Christ. Just like we might turn to a punching bag. Instead of punching someone else. And take our anger out. And our anger be propitiated. So this righteous God. Took his son. In Psalm chapter 7. Starting in verse 11. Says God is a righteous judge. We see that in Romans. He's a righteous judge. So what, what does a righteous judge, how, how does this righteous judge feel? He says God is a righteous judge. He is angry with the wicked every day. He said if he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow. He makes it ready. He's prepared his instruments of death and makes his arrows fiery shafts. So as God is revealing his wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. It's as though he's sitting in heaven with his arrows dipped in the flames of hell. And they are aimed at each and every person's heart. But then God takes his son. And instead of releasing those arrows into your heart, into my heart. He puts forth his son. As his target, and says, I'm gonna take your sin, your unrighteousness, your ungodliness, I'm gonna place it on my son, and now my son's my target, and I will release my arrows into the heart of my son. As he hung up there and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God unleashed all of his arsenal on Christ and crushed Jesus Christ to provide you with the righteousness. That Jesus Christ earned from you. This is your God. This is your master. Can you not be a slave to this master? And then he goes on in chapter four and says, And not only did God do this and it's a one time thing, but now through the rest of your life, he speaks, he uses. From Psalm 32, when David blesses the Lord, he said, Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not even impute sin. It's not even put on your account. Through the rest of your life, you remain perfectly righteous before God. This is your master. In chapter 5, We see by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. But by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. You've been made righteous, not by your obedience. You've been made righteous by the obedience of Christ. This is your master. Your righteous master has sent his son to absorb the wrath that you deserve, that I deserve. To give you a righteous standing that sin will not even be put on your account. It's all by the work of Christ. In chapter 5 he tells us. When you were without strength. You were dead in your sins. You were helpless. We sung about it this morning. You looked upon me in my helpless state. We were helpless. We were dead. We were slaves of sin. But it says. At the right time. That Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely will one die for a righteous man. Though for a good man one may dare to die. But you weren't righteous. You weren't good. I wasn't righteous. I wasn't good. But God to demonstrate his love. Christ died for us. While we were in our sinful. Our helpless state. This is your master. And as we've been seeing in chapter six, he's not only made us righteous, he's united us with Christ. And now the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in each one of you who is a believer this morning. He didn't just die for you and say, oh, now you're on your own. I'll see you when you get to heaven. No, he says, I'm going to come. I'm going to dwell with you. I will live in you by my spirit. I will empower you. And as we said, the day Jesus Christ goes back under the power of death will be the day that you go back under the power of sin. And as we see here, he's changed your heart. And he's enslaved you to himself. And it's a a joyful submission. God be thanked, rejoice in God, glory in God. He's delivered you from your sin. And now he's given you a heart to love the righteousness you once hated, to love sanctification, to love Jesus Christ. And in chapter 7, we learn that you become dead to the law. You said, why? I thought the law was a good thing. Well, if used correctly. But the problem is, even as a Christian, you can't keep the law perfectly. So the law can only condemn you. We briefly mentioned it when he said, you are not under the law, but under grace. Isn't it a good thing to be under the law? No, unless you're Jesus Christ, who was born of a woman born under the law. To redeem us from under the law. Yes, it was a good thing for Christ Jesus. Because he can keep the law. You can't. I can't. So we have become dead to the law. In chapter 8. He's given us his Holy Spirit. To come and indwell us. He's given us many promises. And though we groan in our bodies we can eagerly await the redemption of our bodies. We can eagerly await Christ's return for us as his spirit is in us. We learn that the spirit intercedes for us, the spirit prays for us with groanings that we can't even utter. We've learned in chapter 8 that our master is working all things for our good. There is nothing bad that can happen to us. You say, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. Think of Joseph. He was delivered into Egypt. He was sold into Egypt. He was accused of trying to take advantage of Potiphar's wife. He was thrown into prison. He was left there. He Almost had a way out. He thought he had a way out, but they forgot about him when he interpreted their dreams. He's still in prison. And after all is said and done, his brothers come up with this. They're like, okay, dad's gone. Now Joseph, he's going to stand up and he's going to say, okay, now dad's out the way. I'm coming after you. So they're like, we're going to go to Joseph. And we're going to be like, uh, uh, you know, uh, dad didn't tell you, but. He actually told us to let you know he wants you to forgive us. And Joseph said. What you meant for evil. Yeah what you meant. There is so much evil in this world. We see the incident in Maine. Yes. Much evil. We see Israel. Evil. But what is meant for evil is meant for your good. This is our master ordained all things and is working all things for your good. And in chapter 9 he takes a step back behind all of this. And he speaks of these two children and says the children not yet being born nor having done anything good or evil. But according to the purpose of God that election might stand. He hated one and loved the other. And we say that's not fair until you realize you should be hated and I should be hated. And God set his love upon you. This is your master. Who for nothing in you, nothing in you was worth loving. We have this picture in Ezekiel chapter 16. I encourage you to read it. And like the first 16 or so verses of Israel just thrown out. And God set his love upon her. That's a picture of what he did for you. When we get to chapter 11, we read that God has went and he has taken you from a wild olive shoot and has grafted you in to a cultivated olive tree. He originally made the promises to Abraham, to the Jews. But he's taken you, he's taken me, and he's grafted us in to partake in those promises. There is not one promise that God has made to the Jews in all of scripture that isn't to you. We don't go in the Old Testament and say, "Mm, these are nice promises, but they aren't for me. No, all promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And you've been grafted in to that tree which ultimately is Christ to partake in the root and fatness of that olive tree and all of the blessings of Abraham. All the promises of God are yours. This is your master. Can you not serve that master? So do we say, okay, I'm going to try harder to please my master? Or do we know our master? Do we know his love? Do we see what our master has done for us? His eternal love, even from before the foundations of the earth. And we say, if that's my master, if that is how he loved me, I will lay down all for my master. Amen. That's how we become slaves of righteousness and bear fruit unto holiness. So as I said in the beginning, everyone in here is a slave of sin, a slave of righteousness. Now if what I've been saying it it doesn't resonate with you, you don't identify, you're like, well, I I I hear what he's saying up there about God. I mean yeah, I've heard about God. It doesn't impress me. And I know He has this righteous standard. He has this law, but I really have no desire to keep it. You say, Is there any hope for me? Because as we see here, if your heart has not been changed, then. Your end is death. And not just physical death. Unless Jesus Christ comes back. All of us will die. Christian or not. Not just physical death. This is what is called the second death. Of Revelation chapter 20. This is the eternal lake of fire. So if your heart has not been changed. That is your end. But do you despair and say, I have no hope. No, God in his love has brought you here this morning to hear this message. He could have left you out in the world. Well, you get none of this. But he brought you here for a specific purpose. And as he says in Romans 10, this is the master. He says, whoever calls on me, whoever calls on me will be saved. So I would urge you this morning, if your heart is not one who has been changed to love God, to joyfully be a slave of God-loving righteousness, Holiness. knowing your end is death knowing your end is eternal damnation I urge you call upon the Lord this morning call upon him why would he bring you here just for no reason call upon him And he will not cast you off. He will not say, well, if you didn't do that last night, I might consider it. Call upon him. You see the character of the master. We see the character of God. He is a savior. Whoever calls upon his name, will be saved so I urge you do not walk out here walk out of this building a slave of your sin but you can walk out of here thanking God that though you were a slave of sin yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you are delivered and what is that form of doctrine boil it all down it's Jesus Christ who God set forth as that propitiation to absorb, absorb the wrath of God for all those who are called upon him. Let's pray. Blessed Heavenly Father, Father, you said your word will not return To you void but will accomplish what you have sent it out for I pray that you will accomplish salvation in this room that those who walked in and they are slaves of their sin I pray father that they might look upon the Savior the only one who can break the chains right now? Their sins, or chaining them to a ball that is dragging them down to hell? And only Christ can break that chain. Might they look to Christ this morning? And for those of us, my brothers, my sisters, who are slaves of righteousness, for holiness. And because we have this heart. We want to give everything we have. We want to try harder. We want to pray more. We want to read our Bible more. We want to fellowship with the saints more. We want to do this and do this and do this. All of those are good things. But none of those will avail us anything. Unless we know. Our master may we give ourselves to knowing our master to knowing his love to knowing his grace and might this compel us as Paul says no longer to live for ourselves but for him who died and rose for us I thank you for helping me this morning I pray that this message sticks with each and every one of us as we go out from here today and it's in jesus name i pray amen Amen.